Father, thank you um, for your word. Thank you that you've proclaimed it clearly to us. Father, I pray that you help me to be clear in what you've said. Help us to receive your word with willing hearts and help us to put it into practice in our lives, knowing that we do indeed proclaim Jesus' death until he returns. Amen. So, forgiveness. We love receiving it, don't we? But it's often hard to give it out. Would you ever be able to forgive a murderer who's murdered your family that has become a Christian? Well, let's have a think about this. So a man kills your family. He's been convicted and is to spend 25 years in prison. Now, your pastor spends time with him reading the Bible in prison and he shares the gospel with him. So only three years into his term, he becomes a Christian and your pastor comes up to you and says, I've been meeting together with the guy who murdered your family. He's become a Christian. Now he wants to meet you face to face and ask for forgiveness. Now, what would you do? It's a pretty serious example, isn't it? But it gets to the centre of what God wants us to hear today. Jesus wants us to understand that forgiveness is essential in God's kingdom. No matter how much, no matter how many times, forgiveness is essential. No matter how bad the sin, forgiveness is essential. Jesus wants us to forgive our brothers and sisters. So today we're going to learn that forgiveness is essential in God's kingdom. I'm hoping that you're convinced by Jesus' parable. I'm hoping that you're convinced that in this parable, the king forgives a massive debt, and we see that in verses 22 to 27, that the servant does not forgive a small debt in verses 28 to 30, and that the servant is punished for his unforgiveness in verses 31 to 34. So if you want a quick summary, the king forgives, the servant forgets, and the king punishes. So when does this parable appear in Matthew's gospel? Well, this parable is, prompt, is prompted by um, Peter's question of Jesus in verse 21. Can you see that there? How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? Up to seven times. So Jesus, in the previous section, in chapter 18, 15 to 20, has taught them that sin is indeed serious and it must be pointed out. We must discipline people in the church who are unrepentant. But Peter has misunderstood how much he has to forgive. He wants to work out how many times so he can add them up. So uh, Bob sinned against me once, he's twice, three times, four, five, six, and seven. Now I'm not going to forgive him. He throws out a large number. Seven is quite a large number, isn't it? Like, it's, yeah, if someone sinned against me seven times, I'd be at the end of my tether. Seven is quite a large number, and it's actually 
uh, more than what the teachers of the time recommended, which was only three times. If someone sins against you three times, then say, forgive them. But what is Jesus' response? Well, if you have a look there in verse 22, Jesus rebukes Peter. Now, it doesn't come out clearly in some translations, but the first word Jesus says to Peter is not. He says, no, you're completely wrong. Not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times, Jesus says. Jesus wants Peter to understand that he's got the number completely wrong. It's not about a number, but it's about an attitude of the heart. And so Jesus launches into his parable to show that he doesn't really mean 77. He doesn't mean a large number like you mean to keep a tally, like we're meant to count it. Instead, he's wanting Peter to understand that the kingdom embodies abundant forgiveness. Forgiveness is an attitude of the heart. Forgiveness at its heart is an attitude. And this parable gives a positive reason to forgive and a negative reason to forgive. So we see the positive example in the king in verses 22 to 27. So the positive example is this, the king forgives a massive debt. So in equivalent terms, it's like, uh, it's probably like a CEO of a bank calling in a rogue trader and saying, man, you've lost the company millions, maybe even billions. He pulls a guy into the office and he demands payment. The employee sits at the opposite side of the oak desk. He's sweating. He knows he's in trouble. And the CEO says, you know why you're here. You lost the company a ton of money, billions in fact. The only way that we can get it all back is to sell everything you own, including your family house. Now the employee breaks down and says, please sir, like give me another chance, I'll pay it all back. Now the CEO, being a family man and wanting to keep the company on an even kill with the rest of his employees, takes pity and cancels the debt. He picks up the document and stamps on it, cancelled in full, all over it. Now, it's a very unlikely story for this to happen in our days, isn't it? A CEO wouldn't cancel the debt of a rogue trader. He'd try and earn it back somehow. And it's strange for it to happen now. It would have been a shocking story for the disciples to hear too at the previous time. A king would never forgive a debt. It would never have happened in Jesus' time. A king would demand payment, no matter the size of the debt. He would punish those who could not pay or would not pay. But what is Jesus telling us about the kingdom of heaven? What is he telling us about the king of heaven? Well, Jesus is telling us that the king is abundantly generous in his forgiveness. Now, the king is a positive example for us. Jesus wants us to emulate the king. 
no matter how large the debt, the king can forgive it. And if we're part of God's kingdom, we are expected to forgive sins too. But how much should we forgive? Well, when we look at the passage, the servant owes 10,000 bags of gold to the king. So that's a large number. So some commentators say that it's probably an uncountable debt, an uncountable number. 10,000 just represents it's so large I couldn't be bothered counting it. Some writings before Jesus' time listed 8,000 bags of gold as payment for taxes for the right to farm three countries' worth of land. So in our terms, it's probably billions of dollars and it's a ton of money. Do you reckon he has a chance of ever paying that off? I don't think so. Jesus' point is this. This man has no hope of paying his debt off. But at the same time, we identify as the king and say, yes, I'd love to really do that. I'd love to be able to forgive the debt of someone. But we're also in the same situation as the servant. We have a debt that we cannot pay. How's this so? What debts do we owe? Now, if we make the connection, as Jesus does, to the fact that the king of this story is God, the kingdom of heaven, we owe God a load of debt. In Romans, we are told the wages or debt of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The father is the king. He judges us and finds that we have a massive debt to settle. And that debt requires us to pay with our life. Now, God is merciful, just like the king in this parable. Instead of making us pay, he forgives. He doesn't just forgive or cancel the debt, like the king in this parable, though. Just stamping cancelled in full over our payment, required payment, he actually came down and paid the debt for us. He died on the cross, in our place, dying the death that we deserve. In this way, God generously cancelled the debt that we owed. Jesus paid with his own life to cancel the debts of many. Now, isn't that great? He did it by dying on the cross in our place. Isn't God a loving king? Isn't he so generous in his forgiveness? I think that's why it's shocking for us to read what happens next, though, in the parable. Now, what does a servant do after the king has forgiven his debt? He runs out to someone else who owes him a small amount of money, grabs him by the neck and strangles him. Is that what we ought to do as Christians? Is that how we ought to forgive? You'd think that the servant, with receiving such grace and mercy, would be gracious to those who owe him something. But the servant doesn't forgive a smaller debt. Now, the parable says that the debt is only a few hundred silver coins. 
and when compared to his massive debt over here, a few silver coins is the equivalent of 1% or less than 1% of what was owed to the king. His debt is so small, so tiny, that compared to his debt that was cancelled is negligible, but yet he inflicts the pain and punishment of the king on the servant. He throws him in prison and waits to make him pay. But he's got no hope of pain, does he? He's in prison. So thinking about our, real work, our modern day example, it's like the employee runs after another employee of the company that he works for. Now, the employee who's just had his debt cancelled is the president of the social club. And social clubs sometimes have like, you know, soft drinks and things like that in the fridge that it's based on an honour system. Now, the president, sorry, the, the servant, the employee who's had his debt cancelled, runs up to another employee and says, I saw you take a Coke out of the fridge and you haven't paid. You owe me a lot of money. I'm going to strangle you. It's, it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? The real world example helps us understand how silly this story is like silly the actions of this servant is compared to the actions of the king. Instead of forgiving the other slave, he grabs the servant by the throat and strangles him. Is this how the king treated him? Did the king respond to his cry for mercy with violence and strangulation? Did the king threaten his life? He didn't. The king gave the servant mercy. But what did the servant do instead? He threw the other servant in jail. Is this what the king did? No. It's the complete opposite. Instead of mercy and compassion, the slave dishes out violence. Now the slave's actions show us how sickening unforgiveness is. Unforgiveness results in pain and torment. It destroys relationships. Do we act like the servant sometimes? I know I do. Do we hold grudges instead of forgiving? Do we place our brothers and sisters in an imaginary prison, giving them the silent treatment for a sin that they've committed against us? Do you feel like not forgiving your brother or sister in Christ for something so small that compared to your own sin and debt it is so small you probably couldn't even see it with a microscope. And I think that's why Jesus reminds us to remove the log from our own eye before we remove the speck from our brother's and sister's eye. Now the key to forgiveness is loving each other. And forgiveness is the foundation of actually being loving to each other. But you know, it's hard living in God's family, isn't it? People can irritate us. It can be testing. We all sin. We all annoy each other in our own little ways. But God calls us to forgive each other. The church can't function if we hold grudges. We can't all live in imaginary prisons, just living individually, not forgiving, not communicating, and not loving each other. The church wouldn't work if we didn't work at the art of forgiveness. We wouldn't be able to love each other. 
So for example, Billy wouldn't get along with Bob, so they couldn't do the kitchen roster out back together. Jill and Jackie fight, and they couldn't serve together on the worship team. Just see how unforgiveness and unwillingness to forgive little sin affects our relationships. We can't serve together to make Jesus known. And we never want the church to become a place like that. Instead, foundation, sorry, forgiveness is the foundation of the church. So why is forgiveness a foundation of the church? Well, for each of us, if you're a Christian, God forgave our massive debt so that we could forgive the debts of others. Now, this parable isn't about money. It's about sin. And all of us sin. Some of us sin quite a lot. Some of us a little. But all in the end, it deserves death. We sin against others and against God. Every sin is not primarily against each other, but it's against God. When we repent, though, God forgives us. So why can't we do that to each other? And I think it's because we're often ungrateful, just like the servant of the parable. Now we come to our final point, the negative reason. The king punishes those who do not forgive. Now this is Jesus' warning in verses 34 to 35. God will judge and punish us if we do not forgive from the heart. Now, what does this mean? Well, there'll be a day when Jesus returns and holds us accountable for the way we forgive our brothers and sisters. He'll examine our hearts, revealing the truth about forgiveness. So we're without excuse when Jesus tells us we need to forgive our brothers and sisters. And that's why Jesus gives us the conclusion in the parable in verse 35. So he says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now that's a bit hard to do, isn't it? Truly being forgiving is a hard thing to do. But Jesus is telling us that it's essential from the heart means that we don't hold grudges. Instead, we forgive. We don't remember the wrongs of our brothers and sisters. We don't keep a tally like Peter was suggesting. We don't talk about their sin behind their back. Instead, we truly forgive, knowing that we have done worse to our Heavenly Father. And yet, he's forgiven us completely in Jesus. Jesus paid our debt so we can be forgiven. He was gracious to us, so we can be gracious to others. Now, forgiveness is essential in the gospel. It's essential in the church. So God calls us to be his salt and light in the world. And forgiveness is a key characteristic of his church. An unforgiving community cannot represent Jesus to the world. Instead, it is only a forgiving one that can present Jesus. And, a, and by forgiving each other, we proclaim to the world that Jesus died for us. And because Jesus died for us, we can be called his children. So practically, how does this work out? How do we forgive people 
What makes it possible? Firstly, we understand that our sin before God is greater than any sin against us. We take the sin against us to God in prayer. We ask God to help us to forgive those that sin against us. We have an attitude of softness towards people and we take it to God in prayer. And some other practical advice, we approach the other person in humbleness, not of arrogance, but we say, look, I'm sinful and I want you to become the best you can be in Jesus. I, I don't stand in judgment over you, but I stand in humbleness before you, wanting to love you and wanting to be um, yeah, the, the outflowing of your forgiveness. I think a lot of the time it's the responsibility of the sinner to approach the person that they've wronged in humbleness and talk it out with them. So that comes to the third practical thing, talk it out. So the only way that we can forgive is to talk it out together as God's people. The fact that we've had a massive debt cancelled means that we can talk about the littlest sin or the greatest sin together and proclaim Christ's death until he comes to each other. Just say, look, it's forgiven, brother or sister. It has been paid for in full. There's no need for me to hold a grudge against you. God has forgiven this sin and I'm happy to forgive it too. Now, this parable occurs in the context of what Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He says, will we truly blessed as his children if we're peacemakers? He says this in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they be called, uh, for they be called the children of God. Sorry about that. May it be forever in his church while we will wait his glorious return. Amen.